patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicate to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everyone and welcome to episode 123 of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host Sherman Taloski. Thank you all so much for joining us today. As always, a big shout out and thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our subscribers as well. Our Patreon supporters have been extremely, extremely helpful in keeping our show going and also just really ensuring that we make incredible content. So if you haven't already, check out our Patreon link down in the show notes below. Or if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Friends and Fellow Citizens so that you get notifications. You can also subscribe to our email list as well so you can get notifications right to your inbox. Today we will be speaking about our next signer. We're still in the colony of New Jersey here in the Sacred Honor series, and we are discussing John Witherspoon. No, it is not the actor John Witherspoon you've probably seen on TV. It is John Witherspoon, the clergyman who hails originally from Scotland. He was born in 1722, uh, went to a very good, went to some very good schools while he was there. And he is the only clergyman actually to sign the Declaration of Independence, which kind of shocked me a little bit. I thought there'd be some more uh, religious leaders. Uh, George uh, Whitfield and others were very influential, although obviously not around really during the time of the American Revolution. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, John Witherspoon, was uh, someone who had achieved uh, his education in Scotland and received an an honorary doctoral degree in divinity from the University of St. Andrews. Uh, It's actually a beautiful school. I went there one time in 2014. I was actually accepted to that school, and uh, it was was definitely a beautiful campus, Uh, certainly one place that uh, I can understand why someone like Witherspoon would want to go there, uh, or just anyone, really, uh, to join those amazing sites. But he was someone who obviously believed in the role of religion and the role of moral philosophy in society. He was a staunch Protestant. He was uh, initially, again, in Scotland, but he he was actually kind of, quote unquote, recruited, I guess you say invited, by uh, two other signers, one of them whom we've already discussed, Richard Stockton, uh, the uh, our previous signer who we covered in the previous Sacred Honor series episode, and also Benjamin Rush, uh, who we will be covering when we get to the Pennsylvania Colony. But uh, Witherspoon was uh, accepted had accepted that invitation to become the head of a new school called the College of New Jersey. Today, we know that university as the Princeton University. In 1768, uh, Witherspoon and his family went to Philadelphia, and they settled in New Jersey, and he was invited to, to lead the College of New Jersey. He was very, very influential in this process of transforming the College of New Jersey as you know, a, a certainly small and influential school to some degree, but he really grew this school and it became so influential as you'll hear a little bit later on. Um, and certainly I, I would say 
given his influence, it really elevated Princeton University uh, into what it is now in a lot of ways, uh, even just even a couple hundred years later. He helped and grow the endowment fund for the school. Uh, he personally taught, but he also put some changes on the curriculum, and he uh, was very much influential and someone who uh, people respected and thought that he was a really good professor, uh, had a great sense of humor, and by the 1770. Uh, was fascinating is that the students of that school were uh, many of those students uh, were supporting the Patriot cause. So he really took a new channel. We've seen with some of those signers how they uh, they were involved in business, involved with law and with government. Uh, Witherspoon took uh, the education route. Now he himself, I would already obviously later on would serve in the Continental Congress, but so to use the education route, I think is. Uh, a very, such a unique way of influencing the patriot cause, and uh, I, uh, my guess, if I, and this is just purely Sherman Tylowski's guess here, but I, I find that I think it's because Witherspoon found uh, truly believe in this idea uh, that the ideas of revolution and of of liberty and of patriot causes had to be also spearheaded by youth, by people who were studying these ideas so that they could institute these ideas later on. The reason why I say say this is the case is because he had a number of notable students there. And I, I would think that if you knew that knew some of these brilliant people were coming to your university, that you would do what you can to uh, to give them ideas and to uh, hopefully uh, they, you know, have some fantastic alumni, which I mean, what's college in nowadays doesn't want a fantastic alumni. Nowadays is a lot more complicated with uh, endowments and donations and whatnot, which we won't get into today. Uh, but one of that those famous students of this college in New Jersey is none other than James Madison. Madison was a student, and there were some no- other notable ones too. And he actually got some ideas from the Witherspoon, uh, specifically about uh, ideas on natural law and on on separation of powers, like checks and balances. And uh, this is, I think, just fascinating to know that uh, one of the the future presidents and one of the other founders learned uh, and got ideas when he was a student. And so uh, Witherspoon, I think, his influence is... Uh, is a bit is quite understated, I think. Uh, when, when it comes to the impact of education, uh, I think I would say he would be one of the first first signers to pioneer uh, education. Now, there were some other signers who were involved in the founding of other colleges. Ben Franklin, of course, with the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Abraham Baldwin with the University of Georgia. Uh, I find I find Witherspoon is incredibly uh, interesting, um, and not to mention. Now, throughout his time, not he was, wasn't just growing the school, but he also emphasized the importance, as I mentioned earlier, of moral philosophy. He fundamentally believed that this is incredibly key to citizenry, to an educated citizen population, as well as important for really just learning and living life. And uh, we'll speak a little bit about some of those takeaways later on, but uh, um, what what a fascinating topic this is. And I I would argue one of the topics that we are incredibly missing out um, nowadays in our society, something we just don't, we we don't recognize the value of moral philosophy, perhaps as much as we did before. Uh, But that was what Witherspoon believed in. And 
moving in a bit into the the actual middle of the politics of whatnot, in 1774-1775, uh, he uh, became a representative in the New Jersey Provincial Assembly and uh, was very much spearheading that movement to remove the royal governor. Obviously, uh, at that time, royal governors were not so popular. <laughs> so, uh, Thomas Hutchinson, the, the gov- royal governor of Massachusetts, was probably the most prominent victim um, and I, I say victim not because I sympathize with him, obviously, but because he truly was. <laughs> he, 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 I think he did a lot of things that, uh, while probably were very much in line with what he was trying to do in terms of keeping order, he probably did a lot of the opposite uh, when it came to really agitating the wrong people. Uh, and so with uh, Witherspoon uh, get really helping with that, uh, with those events of removing the royal uh, governorship. And and getting uh, because of these actions and of course his influence in the education system, he uh, received an appointment to the Continental Congress. And on July second, seventeen seventy-seven, this is a very interesting story that I found uh, found on a particular site here uh, that focuses on the signers, which I use a lot in my episodes. Uh, one time, he uh, there was a, a delegate. I, I don't know who the name of that delegate is. Uh, the Dell probably wouldn't want to get his name out anymore, especially hindsight's 2020. Uh, but uh, there's a delegate who uh, actually opposed ratification of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and he basically said, quote, we are not ripe for revolution. And Witherspoon said, okay, not ripe, sir. We are not only ripe for the measure, but in danger of rotting for the want of it, unquote. He obviously expressed the fact that we are not only ready for declaring independence, but we are, we're going to be in a lot of danger when it comes to the British finding out uh, what we wanted, freedom. And, and this sentiment is something that I've expressed a lot in, in my episodes of the Sacred Honor series, which is realizing that this was such a risk to putting your name on a document to advocate and strongly support uh, freedom from the monarchy. Uh, certainly, Witherspoon was not the only one to realize it, but the, this quote really I think, encapsulates just the gamble that the signers took, uh, and and certainly Witherspoon's story uh, says a lot. Because what happens later on confirms his fears, uh, despite, the, despite the fact that he signed it, the fears were certainly real. In 1776, uh, the British were already advancing into New Jersey, and unfortunately, he had to shut the school down. The British actually took over Princeton. You probably have heard of something called the Battle of Princeton, uh, which was an American victory. But nonetheless, the British occupied much of that territory in that part of the colonies and did so much destruction to it, burned the library, um, left a huge, huge uh, path of destruction. Um, including a lot of Witherspoon's papers uh, that were unfortunately lost, um, which, as a side note, is is really sad because it's not just the destruction of his papers, uh, but it's it's the destruction of history. You know, uh, I, I I always emphasize the importance of preserving history, even if it's history that makes people uncomfortable. Because when we are uncomfortable, that's when we start to reflect and really learn. You know, we we can certainly enjoy, obviously, you know, historical artifacts and whatnot, and that that should be part of the experience. Uh, but 
to to see obviously any episode of historical materials destroyed is is truly sad and it really to me at least and of course we're biased here but it, to me it really encapsulates just how uh, how terrible the british regime was i mean they they weren't even you know this was certainly wartime and whatnot but but to to go to those kinds of lengths i think is um i think it really it, it really shows uh, why that this cause, this patriot cause, was so justified in a lot of ways, in part because of that contrast with the uh, loyalists who who did not believe in this idea of maintaining source for education. Now, certainly, it was you know a, a, a tactical victory for for the British to, to do so, uh, but in the grand scheme of things, just emphasizes the importance of preserving history as we know it. One of Witherspoon's sons actually did fight in the American Revolution. He unfortunately lost his life at the Battle of Germantown, Pennsylvania. So uh, just seeing the the amount of dedication that Witherspoon and his family uh, do as immigrants to the colonies, uh, what they went through, uh, what they, how much effort they put into the revolution uh, is certainly one to admire. When uh, Witherspoon became a member of Congress, he he did a number of different different tasks. I won't go through every single one, but um, he, he drafted correspondence, including uh, some correspondence to uh, the general General uh, Lafayette, Marquis de Lafayette. And he actually was interesting that he designed the seals for the Treasury and the Navy Department, which I thought was interesting. I, I'm not sure if he wasn't much of an artist. Uh, I I haven't seen anything that that confirms or denies that. Uh, but uh, that's that's certainly an interesting job to design uh, seals that uh, represent the departments and the missions of those specific departments. Um, and uh, he was also. You know, seeing after the, seeing the destruction that had occurred to the college in New Jersey, he obviously worked very hard to to reopen the college and to get students back in those buildings. Uh, kind of reminds you a little bit of probably a little bit of the COVID times when things were shut down and that reopening. Uh, not the obviously not the same scenario, but just like the the idea of reopening schools, you know, reopening education, like that, that's something we just could never imagine in any kind of emergency situation. Uh, but he was very insistent on doing so. And he was successful to get those classes going by in November of 1778. Now I mentioned earlier that, uh, that, uh, Witherspoon is, was a Protestant, a very prominent clergyman. Uh, he, his ideas of religion, I think very much resembled the idea of freedom of religion, which is this idea that you can choose to pra- practice any religion or choose not to practice any religion. He personally chose Christianity as his path of salvation, uh, but he also believed that non-Christian religions could bring virtue to people because of this idea of natural law, this this concept that uh, there is a, a natural uh, way of people behaving and also that uh, there's there's certain ideas that it really hit at the heart of how uh, a free society should operate. Think about civil rights. Think about civil liberties of uh, the, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence of the Bill of Rights, those encapsulated natural laws. Uh, and, of course, Madison, as one of those students, probably got a lot of ideas, exchanging, probably exchanging those ideas with Witherspoon and some other fellow students. On the issue of slavery, you know, Witherspoon did own slaves. Uh, he spoke out against the abolition of slavery. But here is where 
a lot. There's, you know, there's, I have to just back up a little bit because I, I see a lot in the news. I saw some, I think as it was in fall of 2022 or so, that there were some, some students at Princeton who were, uh, who wanted to remove John Witherspoon as a statue from a plaza. And this just goes to show the ignorance really of a lot of people nowadays. The people, people, they like to just na- now label. It's a, it's a, it's a culture labeling now. You're either, uh, you're either, uh, so-and-so or this and that and there's no real exploration into these people of uh for their rights and wrongs this is this is what we have come to in our society today well he while he was a slave owner he believed that slavery would gradually disappear uh, within a generation now while that did not happen but what i found interesting was how he believed that eventually would disappear and that values would change there were existing laws that, for example, the ban of importation of new slaves, for example, those those were very groundbreaking at the time, given how much of the economy was run by slavery. Uh, and he, his belief in this, I think, really is a good lesson on how the issue of slavery is just so much more complicated than what a lot of people, especially like young people, just don't understand. And this is, I think, come really come from a level of ignorance. It's something that I think uh, Witherspoon and others would be disappointed in uh, with this: the fact that our education system is not allowing uh, people to explore and to read more about these people and how it's much more complicated than just pro or anti-slavery. With any kind of movement, there there has to be some change. Sometimes there's steps forward, like a two-step forward, one-step backward sort of idea. Sometimes there is six steps forward. Sometimes it's six steps backward. You know, you know change is such a complicated uh, mechanism. And for people to to just put everyone and label, put everyone into uh, a silo, I think is, is really a service to our understanding of American history and really of the founders. Witherspoon was just kept was so active in politics. He helped with the ratification of the uh, the Constitution. Uh, ultimately, uh, he he did support the Articles of Confederation. Um, he actually he actually uh, gradually lost vision in the later years of his life. I think he went blind uh, at two years before he he passed away. Um, Witherspoon uh, passed away in 1794. And once again, he is the 20th signer of the Declaration of Independence. And I, I want to read an, an excerpt from the uh, from his gravestone. And I think this is written by uh, someone a few years back, um, who oh, quite a few years back, I should say. And I think it really encapsulates some of the things that that one could take away from Witherspoon, regardless of his uh, rights and wrongs. Excelling in every mental gift, he was a man of preeminent piety and virtue, and deeply versed in the various branches of literature and the liberal arts. A grave and solemn preacher, his sermons abounded in the most excellent doctrines and precepts, and lucid expositions of the holy scriptures. Affable, pleasant, and courteous in familiar conversation, he was eminently distinguished in concerns and deliberations of the church, and endowed with the greatest prudence in the management and instruction of youth. He exalted the reputation of the college amongst foreigners, and greatly promoted the advancement of its literary character and taste. He was, for a long time, conspicuous among the most 
and brilliant luminaries of learning and of the church. At length, universally venerated, beloved, and lamented, he departed this life on the 15th of November, 1774, aged 73 years. Some of those elements in this writing is really important, especially with regards to management and destruction of youth, of the literary character and taste. This really takes us to a couple of some take a couple of takeaways, as I usually do with the Sacred Honor series, and this these takeaways and bring about some lessons that maybe we can learn from these signers. The first is we really need to prioritize moral philosophy in our education system. It's great to see that uh, people emphasize you know, STEM or uh, the the arts at times or uh, creativity or respect, and and those are incredibly important. But none of these things, I don't think, can compare to the foundation of moral philosophy. For me, the moral philosophy really comes down to why do we believe certain moral values? Probably the most fundamental one that I probably brought up before, which is. Why is murder bad in our society? That question is more complicated than people actually want to admit here in, in the United States. There are certain countries that justify murder depending on whether someone is because someone is not a particular religion, because someone is not a particular ethnicity, or because someone is not a, a particular part of a clan, or uh, maybe unfortunately even part of a political ideology or political party. We need to bring back those elements of moral philosophy again into our schools, and I would say into our homes as well. I've seen these really disturbing, uh, disturbing news uh, recently, uh, just a few weeks back, at least before this recording. We saw that the news on a Friday night or a Saturday night, a bunch of teens just storming parts of downtown Chicago just looting stores and cars, jumping on cars, just doing crazy things. I've seen news of, of young people doing sideshows in uh, Oakland, California. Uh, you know, I, I just cannot understand why there isn't better enforcement, better recognition that there are fundamental flaws within particular families who are not teaching their kids what the difference is between right and wrong. Moral philosophy, I think, really stems in every single element of our society. It's not just the question of whether murder is right or wrong. Uh, it, it comes down to every single action. Why is it that I remember I remember when I was little, there, there would be whenever a, a child stole a pencil or something, there'd be kids like, hey, don't steal the, the pencil. You know, you, you'll get in trouble with the teacher, first of all. But second of all, these kids, at least, at least my peers at the time, recognize that stealing is wrong. That is not something that you should do in a society. From these fundamental things, I think we've lost so much of that core uh, education uh, about morality, about the difference between right and wrong. I fear that this, the, 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 these two fundamental changes that I'm seeing nowadays are, are really going to slow us down and and potentially erode our moral values. The first is this emphasis on uh, just mental health. Now, there is a medicinal medicinal side of things when it comes to mental health. Um, certain people can be diagnosed with certain things. 
I, if I had to guess, though, I say a lot of the mental health issues is not just is not a scientific or medicine sort of diagnosis. I think it's a, a matter a question that these people do not know what the difference is between right and wrong. They don't have a moral compass. They don't have the, an understanding of why they do what they do. The question of why, why does this happen? Why is that? Science can answer certain questions, but when it comes to the fundamentals of what life means, that I think science cannot answer. I'm seeing some of these stats. Uh, this is quoted from the National Institute of Mental Health here. Now, you know, some of the definitions, this is a very scientific uh, study here, but I was shocked to see things like suicide, the second leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 10 to 14 and 25 to 34, third leading cause of death among individuals between ages of 15 to 24, fourth leading cause of death among individuals between the age of 35 and 44. So people up to the age of 44-ish, suicide is among the top five. I, I think that suicide is very much the product of people not recognizing the value of their lives. We need, and I think this lot, a lot of this has to start with emphasis of moral education in our schools, teaching young kids why it is that living life is meaningful, despite the challenges. There's so many challenges. Things can happen in our lives. It's understandable, but part of that moral education requires uh, a level of social interaction. Of, of taking people away from these phones that are addicting to so many people, recognizing that building friendships and connections has to be in person, uh, recognizing the importance of, of uh, going to religious institutions to understand virtues, to read, um, to re- uh, read religious texts, understand why, uh, why certain things happen in life that are out of our control. When we stigmatize too much with this idea of mental health without recognizing this, the mental, the moral compass that we are not uh, stimulating in young people, I think we are on a very, very destructive path. I think the other thing too is on the spiritual the spiritualism, which I, I think is is a load of nonsense. If I'm, if I'm in my opinion, I think it's a load of nonsense. We the, the problem with spiritualism, in my view, is that there is no clear distinction between right and wrong. It's this sort of wishy-washy, like, oh, you can believe whatever you want and this and that. I'm sorry, that doesn't work in a society. You, you, you cannot, you cannot, you can believe what you want, anything you want, but you cannot do what you want. And that's one of the big problems that spiritualism does is that it, it kind of is, it justifies this belief and this action sort of free-for-all that is not dictated in our, in, in religion, Religion, there is this idea, there is this belief that there, we do have a moral system, that we do need to act good, that there are, now we can have disagreements generally on lots of things, but if we cannot agree even on the moral elements, we are in a lot of trouble. And I hope that you know, Witherspoon and, other, and others can inspire people to prioritize moral philosophy uh, as part of education. It underpins every single other subjects. You can put in a million different STEM majors, but you cannot replace a, a moral philosophy with, the, with those million STEM majors. Everything needs to be intertwined. Uh, when it com- And I think coming going back to 
the root of moral values and the purpose of having a strong moral foundation, those that should be key in American education nowadays. The second thing is that we need to recognize that change is gradual, not an on and off switch. I know that a lot of young people, and this I talk about young people a lot, because, partly because Witherspoon taught a lot of young people. This is kind of the connection here. And while he certainly believed, you know, that change eventually will come, uh, I I'm concerned that there's a lot of people who uh, maybe because change, positive change, hasn't happened. Uh, a lot. Maybe it's because of political dysfunction, whatnot. I'm concerned that a lot of people think that change is just going to happen right away. And the honest truth is that it it doesn't. Whether it's civil rights, whether it's uh, the economy, whether it's education or public safety, all these things take a lot of time to improve. But also, for unfortunately, for bad change to happen. Just a couple years ago. I should say, uh, probably last year, uh, my family and I were driving through Wyoming. And this is just this county is dominated by a college town, and read some, some of the news about just like some of how the school board, the local school board there, uh, has been uh, basically adopting a lot of very left wing ideologies. And you know, people can have their own views and all that, but the the point is, you know, if there's so many people who like to say, well, you know, this state is red or this state is blue, so there's no chance that. That that's that, that there's going to be a change. Change will happen. Change that happens uh, at very different rates, but that doesn't mean that things will always stay the same. And so, the, my point of saying that is that at the local level, we see that there. I think there's a realization that change is change can happen. It's change. It's hap, that change is happening at a local level, and if we don't recognize that it's a gradual change that starts from the local communities, uh, and that this change can happen be years long. People can, over time, start adopting new views uh, or modify views. Uh, if we don't recognize the reality of so, those things, uh, we could be hindering ourselves. And that is why I emphasize, regardless of what of what political ideology you harbor, uh, understand that. As long as you have those strong moral foundations, as long as you have those good intentions um, to make changes, um, you do so in a realistic manner. Um, I, I hope that more young people recognize that this is, you know, this takes time, you know, that you cannot uh, have a, a new way of you know, addressing environmental issues you, uh, right away. This, there, there are certain things that you can do. There are certain trade-offs. That uh, people, for whatever reason, don't want to give up. So, I I hope that you know people can be aspirational, but the work really starts at the local level. As Tip O'Neill, Speaker Tip O'Neill said, "All politics is local," uh, and and none more so. I think in the case of John Witherspoon, where in his little corner of you know what would be Princeton University, he enacted all these changes that would effectively change the school for years and years to come. If he had been more broad, who knows what that success would have been like. But uh, we know that from that, from those changes he did as a leader, as president of the College of, of New Jersey, um, we see how one person can influence that local institution and how ultimately that, uh, that helped change the fabric of the creation of a new nation, the United States of America. 
And so those are my takeaways, and thank you all so much for listening to this episode about John Witherspoon and the value of religion, of moral philosophy, and of education. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you haven't already, once again, make sure to subscribe to Friends and Fellow Citizens if you haven't already. Check out our email updates and our Patreon support. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. And remember, a day in America is always better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens. Thank you.